All right. Um, why, why don't Why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> Let us know a little bit about you and yeah. how, how we're how we're talking today. Yeah. So my my day job is I'm doing AI research. Okay. In Paris, I have a team. We work mainly on bringing AI to to engineering systems, like real technical, real uh, physical systems, which is uh, not necessarily the mainstream in AI today. We have a lot of fun with it. Uh, I've been doing this for about 25 years. Oh, wow. It started in the 90s. So I'm really like, I saw, saw AI going from an esoteric little research domain to this thing that now it's everywhere on the media. Um, uh, so I did my PhD in Canada. I lived 11 years in Canada. Otherwise, I'm from Hungary. I was born in Hungary. I grew up before uh, <clears throat> beyond the Iron Curtain. Oh, okay. This is maybe something <laughs> interesting to talk about. So I, I was born in seventy. So my first 20 years were uh, in communism. And then in 90, we got liberated. And then I went to university at the same time. So it was a pretty exciting time. And so in, in 95, I, I, I went to Canada to do my PhD, and I stayed there for about six years, okay. teaching at uh, the Montreal University. Okay. And 2006, we came back to Europe, uh, to Paris, and I've been living here since. So I started to work in, a, in an academic research institute with physicists, so that's another interesting topic. Uh, then uh, we we founded a, a, an institute in 2014 called the Paris Saclay Center for Data Science, and that was one of the things that actually were formative for me in terms of epistemology. Like my, my, my let's say my my value, my mini crisis was founded there. Okay. And I can talk about that too. And then 2000. Uh, 19 i joined huawei in paris and we so i have a research team about 20 working on engineering systems and ai so that's my brief cv <laughs> okay okay well shall shall we start on the ai side or shall we start on the your story side which gets into the meaning crisis which would you rather talk about uh, I'm interested in both, pro probably more the, the the latter, but I guess you're more interested in the AI side, so it's it's up to you. No, I'm. There's a lot of chatter about AI right now, and there's a lot of concern, fear. Um, but I, but why don't we start just in my experience in terms of a possible audience or even my understanding of you? Let's start in the story side because. Yes, yes, that's what I was thinking about. Uh, okay, when good. I was because, saying, yeah, 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 because it connects to AI then, yeah. Yeah, and and yeah, I was exactly. reading some of the, I mean, you sent me a video link and some other links, and I was looking at it, and I thought, you know, even even the the questions you have about AI are very much tied into the Verveke's work with four Ps. And, yeah. And that. Okay. So, so you were born in 1970, behind the Iron Curtain. Um did your was it now Hungary? Hungary, of course, has a historic Reformed church. They've also got Catholics. I mean, was there any religion <laughs> growing up in your household or not? 
zero. Zero. It was actually pretty anti-religious. Okay. My my father was pretty much a, a devout Marxist. Okay. Which was actually it's, it's probably not the worst. I mean, it wasn't like he wasn't in the in the party hierarchy anywhere. It was more like somebody who 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 left religion very early. He never he he I think he went he was baptized and he went to church, but then during his twenties he he was out. Okay. And he found Marxism as a as a sort of replacement. So, and that came with all the the classical stuff like religion is the opium of the mass. And, and he, so that's what I grew up with. Yeah. And did he talk about that? I mean, is that something that he was excited to talk about, or was just sort of part of the landscape? He talked about it, and. Okay. Uh, it was normal for me. Okay. Like also school was the same thing. I mean, religion was pretty much in the peripheries at that time, and you really had to be pretty devout to to maintain the culture. I didn't really even have friends who, or I didn't know if they went to church. You know, they, they yeah. nobody was talking about it. Yeah. It wasn't forbidden. It wasn't really. I mean, probably in your in your career, you suffered if it was very open. But otherwise, it uh, there was no persecution in the seventies. Okay. Now, what was it like to have the collapse of communism? If, if you believed that Marxism was the way of the future. Okay, so so by the time of the end of the eighties, I think he wasn't. Okay. My father wasn't that much Marxist, and actually. What happened in my family was pretty interesting because my mother sort of joined the, the underground uh, uh, opposition. Oh. But more the liberal, classical liberal side. Okay. Uh, we, you know, it, it was at that time it was united that after the communists fell, it, it scattered. But that time the, the right and the sort of like liberal, let's say, left were together. And uh, so it's actually there were frictions even even between them because of this. But by that time, my father wasn't that much into this in Marxism. And by the, the time communists fell, like everybody knew it was not working. Okay. You know, the eighties were really like uh, even the seventies, but the eighties definitely were like the time of where. Uh, Nothing, nothing was really happening. Okay. That was the, the feeling, you know. Okay. So for him, it was probably hard. For me, it was it was the same time. I was like nineteen in eighty nine. Right. Right. So it was it was I I grew up and it was liberation and like freedom and I was I was active in the in the in the demonstrations and uh, i was actually in the army in 88 89 which was like completely absurd <laughs> that was like you know before university i did one year yeah now with the war in ukraine i think so things are coming back it's really weird mm. anyway so when i got out in 89 it was already elections in april and so the new system and then there was a lot of excitement from eight, 90 to 95. We were very optimistic. Okay. 
what were you stuff. what were you hoping for that he would join the west in every sense okay uh european west so it wasn't i mean religion wasn't on the radar for me mm -hmm. but like economically and politically we would join the west okay. and it somehow it did happen but it happened in a in a like economically it happened in a weird way it's more like eastern europe is still like some kind of colony of the of western europe in economic sense oh that's interesting that's an interesting word yeah. to use for that that's fascinating yeah i mean yeah yeah i maybe i'm a bit harsh on this no <laughs> i I, my <laughs> I don't want you to pull your punches um I, it's it's an interesting choice of words um what what did you study in school uh computer science okay okay electrical engineering computer science and it was also like i was the second year in hungary who studied computer science in 91 it was very new and it was sort of the the elite of the university okay like the best students went there it was yep. a lot of math uh, officially it was electrical engineering but i studied computer science yeah a lot of a lot of early computer science stuff was electrical engineering i remember yeah, that yeah. when i was and in school actually yeah 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 and uh so ai was already there it was the winter actually the, the second winter first winter whatever whichever whichever winter was it it was the time when uh the good old fashioned AI, like the rule-based systems, were already out. Okay. But machine learning wasn't there, wasn't yet in. But people already started to talk about neural nets. I remember that, and I was very much attracted to it. Okay. For various reasons. Well, let's let's define some terms here because AI, everybody sort of knows it stands for artificial intelligence, but. What exactly are we talking about? What, so what is artificial intelligence? What is machine learning? Because, you know, again, what, what, what are we talking about when we're talking about this stuff? Because I, when I listen to people both on the side that can't wait for more AI and the side that believes it's Terminator coming down at Skynet, you know, ready to destroy us, I, I don't hear a lot of defining, okay, what exactly are we talking about? Yeah, that's actually a problem. Uh Usually, AI researchers don't talk about AI because within our domain, it's it's yeah. I mean, it's much more sophisticated, more 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 details, and more specific terms to to denote some of the things we do. So, what I when I, you know, in, even in people in computer science, I would say I work on machine learning, not AI. But okay. since you know AI. There was this lab leak, and now everybody knows AI. It's easier for me to talk about AI <laughs> because it's well it's well known. And machine learning is is a more technical term. Yeah. So machine it's learning part, so, would so be so machine learning is part of the AI. Okay. Part and so what AI. do we mean by machine learning? So machine learning is is a is an alternative paradigm of how to program computers. Basically, the okay. usual stuff we do is that. We have some structures in our mind and we, we put it into code. And then you have an app, you have Zoom, you have a, an operating system that we we, we use and and all those kind of programs, they're, they're, those were programmed by programmers, right? And AI or machine learning would say, there are things that 
are really hard to put into quotes from my mind because it's complicated. Like, how do you define a cat? How do you recognize a cat on an image? It started by how how do you recognize the digit nine in a tiny image? And then the first efforts were like, okay, let's do it the, the traditional way. Like, okay, the nine has a loop and then it has a, has a stroke here and then let's try to code in those rules. And it worked to a certain extent, but you know, nines are coming in all kinds of shapes and forms and it wasn't very successful as, a, as an application. So machine learning said, okay, let's forget the rules. Let's just collect a lot of data, <clears throat> a lot of nines, zeros, and ones, a lot of digits. Let some humans label them. So then we have pairs of images and what we call labels or classes. And let's design algorithms. So those algorithms are classically designed. Like I programmed the algorithm, but the, the algorithm is the one that we learn the mapping between the nines and the labels, the images and the labels. And that's basically how machine learning works. The rest is a lot of details and a lot of complexity and all the algorithms that do those mappings and do the learning from data. And this paradigm is actually the same today. What changed was a lot of computational power, a lot of algorithmic tricks, and a lot of data. And the big breakthrough, like let's say 10 years ago, came from all those sites. Now, so that's machine learning. That's yeah, yeah. yeah, that was really good. That was really helpful. Now let's drill down a little deeper in that because when we say, because we're going to connect this, I mean, at some point we're going to connect your story to Verveke too. But in some ways, when I hear you say machine learning, that the machine, when we are watching the machine, it's getting better and better at what Verveke calls relevance realization. That when you're looking for outputs, there's a whole lot more things that you and I intuitively recognize as the number nine and fewer false positives, which are um, a fat man with skinny legs and, you know, taking a picture from here, you know, whatever, whatever a false positive for nine would be. Is that what we're talking about? So I, I would say today, the best thing don't we do the we we realize the relevance for them. Oh, okay, because right. the most of the relevance comes in the labeling. So I I will not tell to the machine, okay, survive. I will tell it, oh, this is a cat. Maybe you could massage in relevance realization into like what 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 does it look at in the image to recognize a cat. Like the, the the ear and the eye triggers some kind of signal inside the machine, and that's. But I wouldn't call it relevancialization. Right. Uh, it's still pattern matching. Yeah, exactly. You show a lot of cats; it will learn that they, they have an ear, and the ear is an important feature of the cat, and it will look for that ear. But it it's. I, I, I would, I, I'm not sure what it's relevant to other than the, the catness of the image itself. Which right? gets us sort of into and the Peugeot yeah. question. Yeah, 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 exactly. What is, exactly. what is the catness in cat that even after the age of, you know, a small child, 
can recognize a cat. It doesn't mean you can't fool a small child with an animal, which is some degree <laughs> of catness, but the child has the child has a sense of catness that is connected up with all of us. And we all sort of have yeah. an agreement about catness. We do. And we somehow think that cat is an important category. And that's not something that today's AI does. It expects us to tell what are the important categories. And that's that goes deep. There is maybe one fringe of AI which goes beyond that, but even you know the language models, which are you know very cause cause a lot of excitement this year, are learned from data that exists that somebody found. So it, it learns from text. It doesn't learn from any text. It learns from text that was written by humans. And the importance of the concept that is in the text is encoded in the fact that they exist. You know, the existence of the text that the, the machine learns is the relevance yeah. of the data for something that was, it was relevant for somebody in some situations. So he wrote an article, he wrote a text, he wrote some, some blog posts about that. And the machines that learn language learn from that text right it doesn't go beyond what is already produced by humans and the relevance is what the humans put into it so i so i when i when i hear Vervake talk about relevance realization i think it's beyond what ai does today yeah that's and that and that's very similar to some of peugeot's comments on ai that it it remains it basically remains a human tool and there's a yeah. fundamental there's a fundamentality about that human toolness in the entire enterprise because yeah. we are the ones that are we are one we are the ones that are are it's our relevance that we are trying to in a sense, our capacity to recognize relevance that we are trying to expand via these tools. Is that yes, correct? Yes, exactly. Yes, yes, definitely. Now, the thing is that today's language models, if we talk about this, they are trained on an immense quantity of text. I think it's like 4.5 terabyte that went into GPT-3, which is one of these language models that people use, which is you can't imagine that. So it's like everything ever written. I think uh, it's 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 a percentage, like one point five percent of all internet text went into that machine. So when it produces language, it does look very interesting and new and intelligent, but it's. It's still, um, you know, it just collected all those texts and rehashed it and, and connected everything. There was huge intellectual work that went into this, into the machine that could actually digest that quantity of text. But it's still sort of like a very intelligent search engine within that big corpus of text. 
See what I mean? Yeah. So, and if you ask it about a topic where you don't really know, you know, the answer, it does look in, in intelligent because it, it answers you things that you don't know. Yeah. Somebody knew it, but you don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. That's fascinating. Because, you know, I've, so I, I built this new computer for myself and I put a, you know, mm -hmm. I put a little, I put a little SSD in a two terabyte SSD in just for the regular stuff. And then I put a 10 terabyte SSD in for, you know, videos and other stuff that I have to store and manage. And so you think, okay, I could put five terabytes of text on that drive and, and and then you think, well, that's that's in a sense text in a bucket. And then you think, okay, we're going to digest that text. But you know, even the use of that metaphor when when I eat pizza, let's say, um, and that goes into my stomach, my stomach digests it. And in a sense, my stomach is doing some sort of relevance realization because mm -hmm. by by virtue of the digestive system that I have. It is looking to select and deselect certain things that the body wants and yeah. and process it through me. And, and so again, the the body is doing the relevance realization, you know, spanned over, you know, all of everything that came to be me to have a working digestive system. And so that's a very it, I think it's I think it's very difficult for normal people like myself to get a handle on what exactly we're talking about because our relevance realization when it comes to this conversation tends to be shaped by science fiction. Um, I mean, it's it's all that that's all shaped as well, even though you know when there was a little conversation among some people in this little corner about AI. And, and one of the people made the point, oh, AI is very much with us already. And that's, I mean, anybody who uses Google or Twitter, you know, Google is- there Yeah, are, yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah. Google is yeah, telling so, me <laughs> what, to, what to watch. Absolutely, and I think this is, so maybe I'm biased, but I think the most exciting uh, new AI applications are image generation and language generation. This year, like creative pictures from text prompts or language. But I think the most impact of AI is in the recommendation engines, definitely. Yeah. Well, and, let's... Uh, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, go ahead. Okay, well let's let's jump back to your story. So you're studying yeah, electrical okay. engineering, you're getting into computers, all of this in Hungary, and then at some point you go to Canada for for your PhD studies. Um, you lived in you lived in Canada for um, you know for a while. What what has been in the time when you first started getting into this as a student until now? Um, how has well well let's talk about Let's talk about living in Canada as opposed to Hungary. What did what did you <laughs> what did you learn in that transition? Um, it was a very different world. When I arrived to North America, and even the Mont Montreal is like one of the cities which was supposed to be very European. 
I found it very strange. Somehow my, my, my feeling was about temporariness compared to Europe. Things were built for a limited time. The, the, the cities were like New York, typically inner city Montreal is, is like New York, is, was very airy big buildings and then especially in new york you don't see the sky yeah i yeah. never had that feeling in in european cities you know uh-huh. and uh smaller cities were like i lived in kingston for for a year in ontario yeah they were definitely like settlements of of limited time even though kingston was a pretty is a pretty old city like the inner city is like 200 years old yeah, yeah. So I always had this feeling of of definitely not not belonging and definitely not wanting to live there all my life because I felt that strange. It was it was very exciting at the same time and very uh, energizing. Uh, but I always wanted to go back to Europe. Like it, it feels more home. Yeah, homey. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Even though Paris is also a big city, but yeah. and I didn't grow up here, it's like ten ten times bigger than Budapest in terms of everything. Uh, still, I feel more familiar with it. Yeah. What was it like working in this field? Because I mean, different different vocations are very they're very different. So, what what's it like working in this field of? I mean, it's not just. I mean, you're not a coder. You're not sitting at a desk coding all day. Eventually, you got into this area of research, which is um, basically, I, I would imagine, well, maybe you tell me, is it setting up coders? Is it helping helping coders figure out how to think and how to do in ways that they haven't thought and done before? I mean, what's 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 thinking about something yeah. like this like? We're we definitely coders. So we code the algorithms that learn. Not everybody there. So, so machine learning was always a very interdisciplinary domain. So uh-huh. the people were from computer science, engineering, but also from cognitive science, neuroscience, uh, math. Uh, I, so the, the subject united us. There was always so, sort of like this, this, this urge of trying to create intelligence. I think deeply somewhere inside, everybody was hoping also to do this for understanding intelligence. At least I went into this from that angle. Uh, It was also a very strange subject of computer science because other subjects in computer science are more monodisciplinary. So people were doing cryptography or other stuff were more straightforward computer scientists, whereas the conferences I went to were these mixtures of of people from all all over the, the spectrum who, who were interested in intelligence, the brain, uh, and uh, and the creating of, of intelligence. From my side, from the computer science side, we were definitely coders and builders. So we wanted to actually build systems that learn. And so that was the paradigm, like, like algorithms were improved. There were benchmark data sets, like those digits, on which we could measure the performance. 
And so there was a lot of theory to math foundations for what, what does it mean learning and uh, how do you formulate it in mathematically. But I was more on the algorithmic side. I, I was I always preferred to actually do it. And doing it was actually coding it. So so definitely people who were from the computer science side, we were coders. We are coders. So this is very and, applied. I mean, you're yeah, you're not just thinking, you're trying. So in that way, yeah. it's very much of a science that, okay, thought, insight, try, mm. test, um, try to improve or achieve. And you, you basically have that have that cycle going yeah. in your work. Yeah, so it was, it's definitely applied, definitely experimental. Within that, there are, there are two, let's say, paradigms. There's the scientific and the engineering. And it's very interesting to see how the two mixes up because... Like engineering is basically build the locomotive, you know. Like Stevenson, early 1800s, he didn't know about thermodynamics. He was just there to build the locomotive. It was very experimental because there was no other way to do it. Try it, see if it works, and improve on it. But you also have experimental science where you have hypotheses that you want to prove or disprove, and you make experiments to disprove them or to prove them, like experimental physics. And so in machine learning, you have both because you want to build stuff, but you also want to maybe experimentally understand that thing that you built. Like, let's say, you know, Carnot came over and understood the, the vapor machine and thermodynamics came out of it 30 years after the, the locomotive was built. So there is this 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 angle too, like okay, we build these neural networks, let's try to understand them scientifically. And that can be theoretical or can be experimental. So you try a lot of things, not necessarily to improve them, but to to call them, to see how they work and what do they do. And maybe what does it tell us about real intelligence? Why why do you think we want to know about intelligence? But somewhere it's 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 uh, it's the top of some evolution, like the best. Like we we sit we sit on the top of this hierarchy, and maybe want we maybe we want to go beyond. So there's definitely a, a motivation for a lot of people to. We want to be enhanced in that. Definitely something that we think about as as something good, intelligence, like solving problems, making life easier, better, uh, making people's life easier and better, others. Uh, it's a, I, 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 would, I, I wouldn't say it's, um, it's not an easy question. My so my urge to get into this domain was definitely somewhere now that the way I understand it now it was about understanding myself. Like how do I work? You know. If I can build at least part of what I do, I will understand it better. 
Now, if I knew that time that this is my motivation, I, I would have gone into perhaps psychology or cognitive science. But <laughs> my background was more, you know, <laughs> yeah. I came, came from math, physics, and like a very hard science upbringing. And so that was like the natural path to go in. And the angle of AI for me went through the the, 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 the angle of understanding intelligence went through AI, let's say. Okay. Well, it's it's we're at a strange impasse because you're um we're you're here talking from Paris and you're a researcher in AI and I'm a local church pastor in Sacramento mm -hmm. who just spent the last hour pretty much carting um um carting food out of the cars for a lot of women uh -huh. in their 80s because I'm the one with good legs and I can bring it across the parking lot and set them up so they can have their Bible study this morning. And so I tell them, well, I got a 1030 appointment, so I got to be done getting y'all set up after that. So I can, and if I would say, well, who are you going to talk to pastor? I said, well, I'm going to talk to a researcher in artificial intelligence across the world. They, well, I, they're used to it now. They'd look at me and say, yeah, that's Paul and his internet stuff. I, he's, it's okay. We trust him. But how on earth, I mean, so you, I mean, Jordan Peterson, John Verveke, Jonathan Peugeot, how, how how did we get to where we're at today having this conversation? So I was always a little bit, uh, I, I always had a little bit of thing beyond what I was actually doing technically. I, I like asking that question why I'm doing this. It was easier not to answer. I was doing this because it was fun. A lot of little shiny objects that I can play with and work on and create. It's like this little kid that builds stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I was. The little thing always stayed there that was more interested in about like knowing myself and uh, why we are here, like the big questions. And within that, why I'm doing this. When I was so, so, sometimes I got pretty depressed about it. And then I just went back to my shiny objects and that pulled me out of this impasse. But somehow in 2019, I think it was, I I don't know how, why the algorithm brought it to me. But the first thing when I, I met the, the subject, it was the Peters and Harris debate. Oh. The eight hours. And I was like, wow. Uh, so religion was never on my radar. I thought, you know, that I would live my life like this, like I would uh, build these shiny objects and uh, have fun in the conferences. Uh, I have two kids, family. Uh, and, uh, and then suddenly there was this debate where I was supposed to be on Harris's side. <laughs> <laughs> And then there's this guy who is saying things, make start to make me thinking about you know the value hierarchy and the way we act. Now this 
the the thing is the the reason why it resonated with me it was because I was already thinking about the question of value, meaning in science. And where does it come from? And how do we decide what we work on? It's exactly your question, your previous question. And the reason why I was into this, because in 2014, we, with some colleagues, we founded a, an institute called the Center for Data Science. That was the beginning of when AI, when AI started to get out of the lab. And the, the, the mission was to bring AI into sciences. It was in a big university where you had all kinds of sciences, economy, human sciences, uh, physics, a lot of physics, uh, medicine, etc. And we already knew that what we do, this AI stuff, the, the extra tools could be very useful for certain things like recognizing stars on astrophysical images or improving the pipeline in the medical pipeline to, to make better measurements, stuff like this. So, we founded this institute with this goal that we take our know-how and put it into scientific pipelines, not in AI, so outside of AI. And it worked, but we faced a big dilemma, which was we had limited resources. We were doing it a little bit on the side. It was not our like core research thing. So we were few. We had some funding for engineers, but we were few. There were more demand from the scientists than we could satisfy. So we had to choose. And I had to choose between very different domains, like astrophysics. So, so what, what is more important to improve a, improve a pipeline where you deliver medicine to administer medicine to cancer patients and have to make sure that the dosage and the, and the medicine is the right one? And we can use AI to make to this quality control thing, or is it better to use AI for recognizing galaxies on astrophysical images? You know, like these are questions that are completely unrelated. Yet we had to choose in which one we invest. And my scientific uh, background gave me no no tool to do that choice. Right. I had no principle to do the choice. Uh, we had some technical things like, do you have data to do it? But it was more like, can I re really do what you'd like me to do? Like, do you have data? Do you do you really know what you want to predict with the AI? Uh, do you have labels? As I said, you know, you have to better match. You have uh, you have you have enough data. And does it make sense? And can we do this? So those questions were more like what I could answer to. But at the end of the day, we had like 30 projects and we had to choose 10. And so this question of how to choose what is important came up. And it, this was every year we had what we call a pitching day where, where scientists came and we asked them not necessarily to, to tell us what they do. Of course, we ask them that too, but we, we ask them, why are they doing it? Like, what's the value in it? Exactly your question, your previous question. They usually get angry. <laughs> because it's, I mean, if you're, if you're like a physicist or a chemist and all your life you've been doing the certain thing that you were doing and somebody 
questions why you're doing it, the first first thing is like, who are you? <laughs> you <know? laughs> I'm I'm used to that as a minister. Everybody looks at me and they're like, why are you doing this? So anyway, go on. <laughs> and so we had to, to to deal with that. We sort of like designed a sort of formula where where people could could sort of like tell us why they do it and what the value is in, in it, you know. And then we had to choose. So this was basically my my job for for three four years to 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 select and then to do the job and then again shiny objects we had a lot of fun with them, but this this was like you know something that made me think about you know how how do we decide what we do in life in general, and that's when this Peter Zong guy comes and then talks about value hierarchy and acting and. Uh, and meaning and how is it external to science, these questions. How it is not possible to derive from a scientific stance. And that's, you know, it was revelative. So this is how it started. And then I got I mean, a little bit like you, like I got hooked on him bad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm a little bit less now with, with his new stuff, but I mean, like, yeah. still uh, the the scientific, uh, for example, the COVID COVID interview that yeah. it it was so interesting from this point, this angle too. Actually, maybe maybe just open a parenthesis on this because I was so surprised by this because basically the main question of the interview was why don't we put resources on investigating yeah where covid came from yeah and how politicized it is yeah but if i listen to him really of course it is politicized and of course this is a value question right yeah like there there is truth of of course there is truth and you know as a scientist you go you are going for the truth Right, that's yeah. your top top value. Yeah, but which truth? Yeah, yeah, you know. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. Like which truth? Because there there are so many truths out there. Right. That we could <laughs> investigate. Why are you going for the chemistry truth and not the astrophysics truth? Yeah. And in that framework, it's completely understandable that we don't want to investigate it. You know, there are other stuff. It's not a scientific question. I I would be very interested in to know where COVID came from, yeah. but I also understand the, the the value decision of not not doing it. You know, like I don't know, like the the Royal Society who refused the debate on this. Yeah, I understand why they are angry about it, but I also understand that it's it's possible to have a, a you know a system of values where this is not a question I will ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, I was a bit surprised that this didn't like like he. It was like a bl a blind spot somehow. It because from his own theorizing that would be obvious that uh, there are some truths that are more important than some others, and for him it's an important truth where COVID comes from. But it's 
feels like for society, it's not for various reasons, right? So anyway, so so it it, it, it was just strange to see him uh, just walking into his own trap in a certain sense. You know? <laughs> I would have asked him this question. Like, <laughs> uh, like there is no way to derive from science why knowing where COVID comes from right. is important or not, right? Right. Science and can't tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm? Science can't tell you that. You're exactly right. Yeah, science can tell you that. Exactly. exactly. So I got into this and then then yeah, the year after it was awakening from the mini crisis. Like I went through it in the summer and that was uh, like, like it was revelative. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of things I'm still like digesting it. I think yeah. it's uh, really heavy stuff, but uh, it 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 put a lot of things in in order for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so for, for P of knowing and everything, and and so so what I'm thinking about is maybe you can talk about this like that angle, like Verbach's angle to analyze AI from that angle is very interesting. I saw in in your video, I guess there was, and I, I didn't catch it when it came out, there was some controversy at Tesla over the rolling stop, which you know, <laughs> part, I mean, part of what's happening, part of what's happening now is that when I turn on, when I open up YouTube, when I turn on my computer and I open up a browser and I go to youtube.com, I know that AI and machine learning is going to direct my life to a degree. Because at the again, I'm I'm conditioned to first look at the upper left-hand corner because that's where we start reading. That's going to be that upper left-hand corner, little square, is going to be the number one video that YouTube says you'll be interested in this. this is what, yeah, yeah. We want you and to YouTube keep... is yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's... YouTube is one of the best ones actually for me. Yes. The, the AI engine is, is, and and I know a little bit about this. Why? Which is kind of interesting. Because YouTube is an old uh, app. So they started doing it a long time ago. And there are competing algorithms in YouTube. So it's not one algorithm that gives you the video, but you have like, let's say, a handful. And it's hard to get rid of them for various reasons. And so what they do in YouTube is that they they allow these algorithms to propose videos and then they just take the best one from each of them. So it's a sort of like a, a mixture. And I think it's good because it's not optimizing really anything. The worst on this, this scale is TikTok. Which was actually built on this principle, you know, it's just you know, a dopamine maximizing machine. <laughs> yeah. Shorter. Yeah. Yeah. I I looked at TikTok. So, so yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It scared me to death. I thought <laughs> I, I I swear it was like it was like someone had put a drug yeah. in my system. It's like I could just keep doing this all day. And I saw the direction that it was taking me. It's like this is, no, no, you know, no, as no. a Christian, yeah, but this, this is yeah. not taking me where I want to go. 
Yeah, that, and that's so interesting. I actually wrote a blog about this because I, I, I got rid of Facebook for the same reason when they had the short videos coming in and that was bringing me into a direction that I was like, the day after I was like, no. <laughs> I went into cage fights, you know, this uh, MMA and got hooked on the fights and I was sitting there and I had all the adrenaline in my muscles that couldn't process them. Uh, it, it was really heavy and it took me two weeks to say no and my, the only thing I could imagine to do was just to delete Facebook from my phone which I did yeah. but the interesting thing is that I, I was thinking about like what, 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 what is this you know like why did I go in that, that direction yeah. and I decided to, to go down in the dojo and learn to fight at 50 Really? Wow. Yeah. And that's uh, one of the best decisions of my life. Interesting. Like two years ago. And so <clears throat> we can talk about that too, but if, in terms of AI, what I wrote down in the blog is that actually you could use it as a therapeutic tool, even TikTok, if you can you know, manage not to really get hooked on it, you can actually just observe your history and analyze it like a dream, like what you would do in a therapeutic session. And then what, you know, do something with it, you know, like, why did you go in that direction? And what would be the action in real life that you could do to be consistent with that? It's like, like, like your subconscious. It's really, these yes. things are really pulling your subconscious. And your subconscious is full of things that are probably useful to know and interesting. So, so this this is one of like this is a non non orthodox ways to use these AI engines to therapy. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, you know, the addictiveness is 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 crazy. Yeah. And uh, actually, you know, Facebook lost me because of that. So. It's an interesting thing what's what's going on in these companies because they definitely want to get you hooked, but on what time scale? And this is where you know Peterson comes in again. Like you can get me hooked for that night, and I stay there. Maybe I even watch your ads, but the day after, you know, my other self <laughs> looks at this and says no. And if you're Facebook, you don't really want to do that. Right? You want you want me to just you know, just give a little bit of dopamine so you stay and then you stay for long long term and and so it's not very clear what is the what should we optimize for that it, it, this 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 gets really into pictures and stuff right it's like how what is the time scale is it my life is it you know longer than that yeah and so what should YouTube give you so you stay on YouTube for your life. And then it, it might be actually that if, if you figure it out, then the recommendation engine will do good. Right? It will want to transform you. You know what I mean? Yes, I do know what you mean. It 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 it, it, it wants maybe maybe if if you think about this then 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 
Now, that, whether it's possible or not, that's, that's a big question. Because for, for now, what I see in these, these uh, recognition engines is that they have one formula, the magic formula, which a lot of information goes into this, but the formula is still hand-designed. It is not AI. Like some engineer or group of engineers who sit down and design that formula that then the AI optimizes. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's actually the limit of AI because I don't think AI could design that formula because that goes really into this this question of like you know why are we here and where do we want to be like in ten years or in hundred. That's that's that is such an interesting observation. <laughs> Because, you know, obviously in my, in the area of my vocation, I mean, the entire, in, so on, on one hand, this morning I was helping little old ladies get their crock pots from their cars to the Bible study. And I arranged the tables and chairs and they then put out the tablecloths and I had just little verbal check-ins. How are you doing today? And usually I'll hear a little story. I'll give a little hug. Um, and then right before this, the soup wasn't hot enough. So Paul, Paul, come out here. So I had to come out there and I had to move the crock pot <laughs> and pour it in and heat it up on the stove and get a little hotter. And I got to do this before I, I have my conversation. So I ran out there and they're already neck deep in their Bible study and they've got their, you know, so I'm doing a lot of that. But the question you just said, I mean, the, the question of why are we here and, and, and where do we want to be? I mean, that's the question of my vocation. That's yeah. the, that yeah. conversation that has been stewarded for now thousands of years. In some ways, it's the, that conversation is the backbone of what we call civilization. And and so then you have this this strange um, you you have this strange reality of you know people looking at me and they'd be like you know you don't you don't really have a job that does anything do you I mean there'd be lots of people that say that you're you know the the atheists would say you're just shilling you're just shilling fantasy stories for dupes to help them feel better and then other people are like well. <laughs> But that's not such a bad thing. It's better to feel better than worse. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. But but the fact that there is no there is nothing in the machine world that has that need, mm -hmm. but we somehow do, which has to be a tell about us. And the machines. Yeah. And the machines. Yeah. Yeah. Um so well I've I've I can I can go until what what will be noon my time. So it's almost eleven thirty my time. So I got another 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 half hour or so. And I've I've pestered you, so I, I want to make sure to to see where you want to go with the time we have remaining. Hmm. What questions did you bring to this? Because because you approached me and said, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about this stuff. And of course, that was before I had all that stuff this summer. And so, I, you know, then finally, we were getting around to it now. So um, what's on your mind? Where do you what do you want to talk about? So I'm very interested in, in religion. And 
my road and my obstacles and uh, why am I not yet a Christian? So th there is one thing about it which is pretty straightforward. Like, like my partner said before I talk to you, okay, just please don't convert. <laughs> <laughs> And I empathize with her because um, a lot of what we see, like the, the, the religions, like the, the actual stuff that happens is very scary. Like going into a church where you've never been to church, it, it can be very overwhelming. Uh, she says that she feels like She's there. She has to know something that she doesn't, and that comes with shame. Mm. So it's really hard to 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 do this this sort of this sort of steps. I was listening just before this to Jonathan Pajo, who at least he came from like a Protestant culture, but even for him to going going to the Orthodox Church in Montreal, which had, which was very ethnic, right? the Russian or Romanian or some Serbian, it wasn't easy. He had to really find his way, and it was sort of like a, an intellectual reason why going into orthodoxy, because this was his calling. So, so there is this, this step for sure, which is really hard to find a, a local community. But then there are also other, like, 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 if I'm thinking about, you know, I'm completely with, with Jonathan Pajot and you on the level stuff, the fractal thing, like we go below and we go up. We see all these same kind of patterns. I'm, I'm completely okay with assigning consciousness of the levels up, but also down. I can also see that if you do that, then there is something on the top. So it's sort of like this now platonic structure, I'm fine. But then, this is what, what Veraka calls the nomological order, right? That's the these levels. But then the narrative stuff, it's really tough. Like, I understand the need for the narrative to basically bring down this, this, this complex structure to, to the earth, literally, right? And I understand that because when I talk about AI, it's a little bit like you know, how to make it tangible or the structure that I live in. That's what, you know, marketing and product product design departments do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's a very, very, I mean, I don't know if, if you like the metaphor. So I understand that the reason why, 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 why the narrative stuff is important in, and uh, the stories also talk to me. Mm -hmm. So Jordan Peterson was the one who actually broke that thing. Like the the stories in the Bible are really really deep. Mm -hmm. But somehow, you know, accepting that it as a truth, even though I know that it's not a propositional truth, it's tough. So I'm struggling with this step. And there is another angle. I don't know if it's related and maybe it's, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just putting, putting more complexity on what I'm saying. 
But then there is another thing is that spirituality for me somehow went through embodiment. Like I started to have spiritual experiences when I could get out of my head. And that's that's I know I I I I've been living in my head and still it's very tough for me to to get into my body, but I know that, that this is my way to get to spiritual experiences. And I don't find a lot of that in Christianity, like going through the body and getting into the body. And it's somewhat also related to the feminine, which I find not very present in the In, in you know what I want to, when I when I'm looking at you or, or Jonathan Pajot or or other religious uh, podcasters or so 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 so, so I have I, I am at this this you know point where where I'm thinking about there is also the community question like the big question that John Verbach is also struggling with, like, okay, if, we, if it's not Christianity, it's now no Platonistic uh, structure and the one and the, also the the practices he does, but how do we organize a community around it and uh, make sure it's not Christianity? <laughs> I don't know if it's actually a, <laughs> a goal or not, but it's, somehow I feel that if you start doing that, you will go back to Christianity. Yeah, some yeah. in some way or not. Maybe it's a new uh, another you know reformation or some kind of some kind of novelty in how it's organized. Yeah. Yeah. But if I put together the the Neoplatonic structure with the with the narrative need, it will become something like that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm actually more more attracted by that than let's say my my partner or other people I talk about who are also in in this crossroad, yeah, who are thinking about something that we need beyond that what what, what you know what you can yeah. hold in your hand, uh, but it's it's tough for me. So I I, I love your, your your everything you do when you do the. The Sunday sermon, it's a little bit more esoteric for me, but it's yeah. probably, you know it, right? It's, yeah. Yeah. it's, some, it's harder for me to connect with it. Yes. Uh, uh, and it's, I, I, so I, I'm actually, you know, I'm not sure whether after, you know, all this history of like 20 years before behind the Iron Curtain and then 30 years doing uh, engineering, I am actually able to absorb this the cultural part, you know. I don't I don't know that I don't know that I don't know that it's 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 an impossible thing. I don't think so at all. But the questions you're asking are very on point for a lot of people. The question of embodiment is a big one. Right now in, in the West, a lot of people who were raised in a Christian environment are playing around with Buddhism, yoga, these kinds of things. And I think 
part of the attraction to that is very much because the primary forms of Christianity we've seen in the West have been very much in our head. The The Protestant mm-hmm. Reformation is a very head thing, um, mm-hmm. and primarily. And I, I think it as it actually gets lived out, it's far less that than it is in theory, because we can't help but um, use our body. So, you know, the irony of this morning <laughs> for me is that given the fact that I am a um, not quite 60 year old man who can has no no bit mobility issues and can carry things. And I mean, so so for me, Christian practice on Tuesday mornings means um, setting up tables and chairs, moving casserole dishes, um, escorting ladies across wet parking lots, all of this stuff. But that is different from, let's say, the kind of formal practice that people seek out and let's mm-hmm. say a yoga experience or martial arts. Martial arts, I think for a lot of people is also, I, I think yoga has, has attracted a lot of women. I think martial arts have attracted a lot of men because I think at this point, we very much are beginning to recognize our embodiment issues. And so if, you know, if you look at a guy who's doing stuff like Rafe Kelly, I mean, he in some ways is very much into that question of of embodiment. And so to me, it's not it's not a huge surprise that Facebook led you to, you know, mixed martial <laughs> arts or something like that, because it was a surprise to me. But <laughs> yes, yes. Um, there's a there's a really interesting book about trauma um, entitled The Body mm. Keeps the Score, which when I mm. read that book, I learned yeah. a lot. And part of what's difficult now in terms of Christian practice and community, I think Christians really have a big advantage in terms of networking, in terms of community, in terms of theology and philosophy. I think Christians have a lot of advantages in that area, but Christians are struggling in terms of embodiment. Yes. Okay. I'm so happy you say it because I was not sure (laughs) what, you know, like, uh, whether it's like a soft point or something, uh, right? yeah. I'm, no, I'm, I, I'm very happy that you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I, I very much realize that. Known, I yeah. think that's part of the reason now why the interest in Christianity that was triggered by Peterson very much is heavy on the sacramental traditions like Orthodoxy, mm-hmm. Roman Catholicism, Anglicanism to a degree. Because in in the Protestant menu, in the English language world, Anglicanism is very heavy on, is a little bit heavier on embodiment, but not really as much. Much more medieval Christianity and, and, let's say, ancient classical Christianity had more things in it, such as monastic traditions, where you clearly had more embodiment and community traditions, um, pilgrimage. One of the things that has been very interesting to me is how many people have the the Christian practice of pilgrimage has made a revival. Uh, Many people are Mm -hmm. now from North America going to Spain, Portugal to walk the Camino. So what we're seeing now in Christianity is, in a sense, an attempt to recapture embodiment traditions within Christianity 
But in terms of competition, there have been other, you know, like other religious traditions have had more embodiment that sort of remained in their portfolio mm-hmm. today. Yeah, but if you, let's say, someone um, stops going to church because it's not meeting their needs and they start going to a yoga studio, well, they're going to start getting heavy on embodiment. But then in my experience, what they begin to get at a yoga studio is something in terms of the philosophical, theological, and religious, it's probably going to be something on the level of a self-help book they pick up in um, in a bookstore. Yeah, store. and it, it, it remains fragmented. Yes, yes, it remains very fragmented. That's the problem, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you, if you go to your yoga studio and they start talking about your chakras, and then you go to your medical yeah. doctor and you say, oh, doctor... <laughs> You got to do something about my chakras. Your medical doctor is going to say, um, Blue Cross Blue Shield or Kaiser Permanente doesn't really deal in chakras, okay? Um, and and whereas Christianity, Protestantism, and Catholicism, I mean, in the United States, the whole hospital system was developed by Christians in many ways. I mean, the government uh. was sort of a recent add-on in the United States, uh-huh. but it's Methodist hospital, it's Catholic hospital, it's Presbyterian hospital, it's mm-hmm. you know sometimes Jewish hospitals. So religious people are the ones who actually were dealing with hospitality and health and all of that. So there's, and, and we're, I think we're in a position culturally where in some ways we've gotten so in our heads and so out of our bodies that, mm-hmm. um, we the, even the the um yeah so it's a you're you're asking all the right questions you really are and you're <laughs> you're looking at you're looking at the struggles i i think potentially because of its its age europe european christianity if if they can really sort of get their act together which they're struggling to in a pretty big way mm. because they're closer to their roots and as you said you know when you went to canada or the united states there, there are no roots here and and in fact some people you know i live in california so some people will pursue let's say native american spirituality but yeah. all of all of that attempt mm. to sort of leapfrog backwards over mm-hmm. the Christianization of the world, many people, and Peugeot, I think, articulated this very well, we have no idea what it means to be a Druid. Um, someone who <laughs> someone who has read a little yeah, I mean, book about yeah, Native yeah, American yeah, spirituality, yeah, yeah, yeah. they don't really know yeah. what a sweat lodge is. So you're not simply going to leap back and worship Thor. That that's yeah. That's not available to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I realize that, and that's a big, you know, why all these arguments go sideways. Because of what I realize with belief is perspectival, participatory, and aspirational too. Yes, I believe in you, or I believe you. You, what you're saying is because somehow I want to be like you. Yeah. I like you. Yeah. I and. Go, yeah, good chance to find a droid or druid. 
<laughs> right, right. All the all the witches and druids. You can find druids easier than druids. Yeah. That's right. That that's just stuff. That's stuff yeah. that's been made up by you know who knows who knows what what movie, but so I you know for me and you know for Peugeot and I, you know we our answer is you know is always you know or so Peugeot is maybe a little bit more go to orthodox church my answer is find find a church that find a church mm. that's that's probably accessible to you because the individual components of walking the path to get reintegrated into christianity there's going to be you know what church is local to you who are those people do you that's why my mm. my answer to people is always find a friend who goes to church and start there because yeah. because there's with combinatorial explosiveness there's just too many questions on the board and and you have to start somewhere but yeah and they have to start doing it so yeah i know yeah. but it's it's the the questions that you're raising and i know i you know i i annoy i annoy some christians when i talk this way because sort of the christian the religious the the consumeristic religious tribal game is my brand has all the answers and but i'm talking to a guy who grew up in hungary studied in canada is living in paris i have no idea where you know where the next where, where the beginning of your path must start and yeah. i could say go to a christian reformed church um there aren't any of them in paris <laughs> that doesn't make any sense um, saved, yeah. <laughs> yeah um hungarian reformed well that might be a good place to start i mean there's hungarian reform but but you know but given and and, and it's got to work obviously when your partner says just don't convert well i've i've been with a lot of people through those kinds of conversations too usually what happens on the other end of that is it, it often happens so there, there's a woman in our church who started coming to our church she wasn't getting along very well with her husband. And then when she started going to church, things got worse because her husband was annoyed because she was paying less attention to putting getting lunch on the table than she was to going mm. to church on Sunday. But after a couple of years into it, he began to see that she was actually a better wife because mm. she um, she was less she was less angry with him. She was more mm -hmm. caring for him. She, because of Christianity, she had to learn to forgive, <laughs> which mm -hmm. if you're dealing in a relationship, learning to forgive, it's, a good is, skill, yeah. it's, it's one of the foundational things to make helping a relationship work. Because if you're in a relationship and one party doesn't know how to forgive, that relationship is going nowhere mm -hmm. because both people have plenty to forgive and plenty they need to forgive. So anyway, so... But all of those issues are real issues. And so what what you know, so what many people have to do is for themselves start piecing their journey together. And mm -hmm. um, and again, I, I'm a Christian minister, and so I'm you know, <laughs> your partner might say, Well, you talk to a Christian minister, of course he's gonna recommend Christianity. <laughs> and she's exactly right, of course I am. But exactly yeah. how yeah. that works for any given individual, there's way too yeah. many things going on in your life that I have no idea of. And so that's why 
for me, what I do in terms of my practice is I pray. And I pray that the mm -hmm. Holy Spirit guides your path and brings you to the right people in the right places and begins to bring into your life the because when I when I listen to you talk, or and this isn't just you, this is anyone, you know, you want a good thing. You want the best thing. Mm. You want the best thing for you. You want it for your partner. You want it for your kids. You want it for your city, your nation, your world. I mean, that's not uncommon to want the best things. Now, we might, in terms of if, if we had to check off a list of the things that we wanted, there might be right and wrong answers on that list. But generally mm -hmm. speaking, in terms of the modality, you want what's better. And again, going back to the AI, a computer can't answer that. Mm -hmm. You can say, well, exactly. Well, what's a better it cat? Can, it can. Sorry, it can, but it's bullshit. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In a technical sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm sorry, mm. you, you you just triggered a little rant on my part. I hope that was... No, um... it's fine, it's fine. Uh, so yeah, one thing I, I was thinking about is that the, 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 the funny thing in our couple is that she's the one who's praying. She's not calling it that, but she's the one who believes in... I mean, not now, I, I, I went with her on that, like in the... Sort of what we call magical thinking, you know, yeah, is that yeah. if you start putting stuff out there, you say it, talk about it, or write it down even better, things happen that mysteriously become true or become real. And so it's completely on, on that side, but it's it's somehow the institutional framework around because she's not not the actual the doing part is fine for her yeah it was harder for me to believe in this you know like scientific mind yeah, it's magic you know come on yeah 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 until i saw it working you know <laughs> <laughs> really. uh, but it's it, yeah it's the institutional thing and it's it's this is what you're saying, like finding a, a local church or community, it's so hard because they are not on the same wavelength. No. Um, and it's not like, you know, 50, 100 years ago where you were in the village and it was natural that it was there. I mean, this, this sort of choice, we are not made for this choice somehow. Yeah. You know, it should be natural. <laughs> yeah. And if it's not, then then I'm I'm somehow you know I'm hesitating between Vervaki's program of trying to reboot it somehow in another way, yeah, or Jonathan Pajot who's who found his you know something that already existed, and you know I I know you will not uh, steal man John's program, but. Well, I I, I completely, so I'm sort of between Peugeot and Verveke on this because uh -huh. I totally understand rationally where John is coming from because there's, there's, there are, in any institution, there are compromises and things that are compromised. I totally get that. Mm -hmm. What I'm skeptical of is if you can white paper this thing, if you can just you know take mm -hmm. a blank sheet of paper and design it, 
because no. nothing no. works that way. Even in technology yeah. and engineering, you're yeah. always building yeah, yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I know enough about coders to know that you go to GitHub or something like that. Oh, I need a piece here and I need a piece there, and you know, <laughs> you're all not writing all that code from scratch. You're you're yeah. pulling things in and putting together coding machines, and off you go. It's you can't you you can't build this from nothing. And if you know, and, and this is. If you begin with the premise that, and I think it's true, communities are smarter than individuals. They have to be. Communities mm -hmm. that are well-networked are smarter than individuals. And you are able to include the, the wisdom of the dead. You're... Mm -hmm. And and so I think you know John has really sort of migrated on this, and he's now much more talking mm -hmm. about say the Silk Road rather than a religion mm -hmm. that's not a religion because I you know and and that's been his story too. Um, he's you know now Neoplatonism, and I mean he's he's appropriating from the past, and I think that's in continuity with what's always happening. We're always doing mm -hmm. that. We can't build it mm -hmm. fresh. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, that's and and for me, so then you know, the, there's always a lot of people asking, well, Vander Clay, when are you going to go to Catholicism or Orthodoxy or something like that? And it's like, but that that same issue is within me. It's mm -hmm. I don't have a reason to depart from my tradition. There's there's a stability staying yeah. in my tradition that it affords me and and yeah i could i could yeah. see some advantages to other traditions over my own in select areas but in terms of who i am and how my life is constructed i don't i don't see any reason in leaving my little tradition uh-huh because for me yeah yeah i understand this so question to you would be are you looking for any Anything transformational in your life still? Because oh, I'm very much a junkie of transformation, you know, like because because I don't feel like I'm settled the way you are. Yeah. I there are certainly some areas of my life that I am praying for transformation. I'll say it that way. Mm -hmm. Relationships. Um relationships uh, a variety of other things i am certainly praying for trans and there are there are there are things in me that still need to be transformed and of course for me transformed further into the likeness of christ mm -hmm. but in in christianity it's a very funny thing that now i'm speaking more in the non-protestant sense of saints one of the mm -hmm. interesting thing about christian saints are they're so very different in some ways, mm -hmm. even though we say they're all getting to be more like Christ. Well, but they're not mm -hmm. looking like a first century um, Galilean carpenter to a degree, but yet they are. And that's where you get into, you know, this, 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 this journey towards a um, journey towards our better selves, journey towards our inheritance in Christ. I mean, there's all sorts of different language that we can grab around that. But yeah, there are very much transformations. I, I don't think I would be 
I make a lot of videos because I am seeking transformation. Ah, so that's your doing it. <laughs> In a lot of ways, yeah. I and and I have conversations. I mean, people might say, well, he's a minister, he's trying to bring others to Christ. Yep. He's but I in this in this conversation, I you bring things to me, you give things to me that are part of this transformation, this ongoing mm -hmm. transformation. And you know, there have been there have been changes in my life over the last four years by virtue of mm -hmm. all of these relationships and conversations. And I mean, my monologue videos where I'm looking at a video and commenting on it, I'm trying to integrate it, you know? I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see this very much. Yeah. It's, yeah. A good, it's a good method, actually. I'm, I'm envy you a little bit. <laughs> well, as, no, as because, you... yeah, I, I, I feel like I have a lot of things in my mind that I absorbed, but to put them into something that's digestible and understandable by others, it's so hard. And I somehow like um, thinking about doing something like that, the commentaries or the, the, the dialogues, but it's so hard to make that step for me somehow because, because the shiny objects are so attractive. You know? Yeah. And, and doing it doesn't mean, I mean, like I, I always say, I have, I have 10 or 20 videos for every one that gets made because, because for me, there's so uh -huh. many shiny objects out there. And um, <laughs> my wife, my wife last night said to me, sat down, said, do you know your ADHD? I said, yeah, I've known this forever. I said, you know, <laughs> so, oh, look at this video. Oh, look at that book. Look at, look at all these books. They didn't, and they're all shiny objects. I mean, it's ideas are shiny objects. It's like, oh, but. Then I, then I realize yeah. I'm living in my head and I need to live in my relationships. I need to live in my body and live in my world. Yeah, yeah. and somehow also, the, the, sometimes the urge is stronger and sometimes it's less strong to, to put it out. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like I'm fine. Just, you know, embodiment and all the stuff I'm doing. Why? Why am I, you know, trying to be more visible? But but at the same time, there is this thing that tells me, yeah, you yeah. have to put it out, put it out, you know. Well, and 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 certainly there's this ego aspect of it, which is there, and to deny mm -hmm. it would just be lying. But for me, the the fun of it has been because I put it out there. Now I get to know you, and you mm, bring yes. new things to me, and and if. Part of the, you know, I'm really glad my, you know, I'm I'm really glad my channel isn't way larger than it is because mm -hmm. what I've learned is that it's, you know, it's harder and harder to get on my schedule, which means I, you know, now I don't get a chance to talk to you because I'm always talking to the people I've always talked to. And it's good to keep talking to the people that I've always talked to because we're all mm -hmm. growing together, but you still also have to include new people. And to get yeah, that the, balance yeah. right. Yeah, the renewal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So well, I've I've got um I've got to land the plane here. Um oh. I'll I'll send you this link and you can decide whether or not you're happy with me sharing it or sharing a part of it. Um I thought the first kind of the first but but 
yeah, just let me know. Um, if you want to okay. keep it private, that's fine. Um, it's totally up to you. Okay, thank you, and thank you for having me. Oh, they are fun. It's it's been a it's been a real pleasure, and I've, like I said, I've learned a ton from you, and I will I will pray for you that um thank you that you that you find the thank transformation you. that you're being drawn to. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Paul. All right, take care. Thank you very much. Bye bye. bye. bye.